everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. This is our January 2021 episode of Female Film Critics Speak Out panel. And today I have some really fun guests from across the seas. It's very exciting over at the UK. And I have Orla Smith is here from Seventh Row uh, and other publications. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Yes. And I have Kaz from Let's Go to the Movies here. Hi, looking forward to talking to everyone today. Yes, thank you so much both for coming on and talking with us. And I want to give you each just a chance to introduce yourself to our audience. This is the second time, Orla, I think that you've been on my show. It's been a, a while little while back. though. Yeah, a couple yeah. Of years. Yeah, that we talked about indie, indie films. And uh, so, but if you both uh, could introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about what you do and, and your blogs or where you write for and, or like, when do you start? Sure. Um, I am the executive editor of Seventh Row, which is actually a Canadian film website and publishing house. Um, and I've been, I've been to Canada once. Uh, I'm not Canadian, but it just sort of like happened that I started working for them through the magic of the internet. Uh, and so we publish stuff online. We publish books three times a year, eBooks. Um, and we have a podcast, the Seventh Row Podcast, and I'm on basically every episode. So if you want to hear other podcasty things, you can listen to that. And I'm also a freelance writer, and I write for the film stage regularly. And I've written for a bunch of of other places. As what about you? Well, basically, um, I run my own sort of film blog, Let's Go to the Movies, and I'm coming up to um, 12 years wow. of blogging now. Um, and it basically just started because I would go to the cinema all the time, sort of loved watching films and thought, oh, I'm going to write about them and do reviews and do lists. And I've just kept going and continue doing it. Um, and it, it's been really good, especially sort of the past year, being part of the online film female film critics association i've had screeners as well so that's sort of like quite a new thing for me so especially with the cinemas being closed that's that's absolutely fantastic getting to see new films yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of that the whole runaround in order to get screeners can be exhausting but it's definitely a uh, i mean it's small violence because it's definitely a blessing especially mm-hmm. this last year just being able to have so much content to I mean it's amazing you you think it would be it would be maybe hard to find stuff to review in 2020 but I didn't find that to be the case it was just Mm -hmm. a little bit different yeah I found that it's like you know some ways it's become kind of more accessible to to review films because Mm um I know before especially since I'm covering like Canadian, well, films for their Canadian and US release dates mostly. Um, you know, some publicists would want you to go to, to like press screenings in person that I just physically could not go to, but then they also mm. wouldn't provide screeners at all. And now this year, everyone has to provide screeners. There's no excuse not to, uh, right. which has helped me a lot. Yeah. And is the seventh row, uh, is that specifically indie films or is it? Uh... Is it more than that? Um, well, I think we mostly focus on, there's not really any specific restrictions on what we cover, but mm-hmm. we do have our own interests and we don't cover everything. We cover only things that we're like interested in. Um, and we're run by myself and Alex Heaney, who, who I work with. And we're both kind of like, like mostly interested in like films by and about women 
um, not exclusively, but I mean, they appeal to us as women. Um, we're interested in world cinema, independent cinema, um, and that's what we tend to write about and what we tend to like get other people to write about. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're not likely to see anything like blockbustery on our site just because we don't feel like we have anything kind of interesting to add to that conversation or it doesn't interest us. Right, right. Uh, so Kaz, how did you get started uh, loving film and watching film? Um, probably all started with Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. sort of when those came out and then when the extended editions came out on sort of DVD back in those days. I just became like obsessed with how it was made and watched all the special features. And that was kind of when it sort of first started. And then obviously over the years, it's just sort of grown. And then you catch up with older films and you realize like how good some of those were as well. And mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just always loads of things to watch and catch mm-hmm. up with. That's true. Mm-hmm. There's always, you can never watch everything, even in 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're talking about television, I mean, it's, I feel, I feel like every day there's somebody tells me about a series that oh you gotta watch this series and I'm like there's already five seasons of that how do I that has become harder to keep up with hasn't it um yeah but I, did, I did watch I caught up with the Sopranos in 2020 okay. it's a big feat so I, oh, I, I caught up with that so I that finally was... watched Stranger Things season three that was like, very exciting <laughs> <laughs> um but last year I I took me like a over a year from when it aired uh but uh what what do you think that female writers and female critics have to kind of add to the critical landscape out there what do you think our perspective is is important and needed what do you think orla um yeah i mean i think it's like essential for like very obvious surface reasons of course because you know like women are a big portion of the population um and uh i think that like everyone has unconscious biases about you know what films that they're attracted to so i'd say that like seventh row for example we mostly write about films directed by women and it's not because we're like necessarily trying to only write about films directed by women, but it's because we're run by two women. So we naturally gravitate towards those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if like most films that it's run by men and work like mostly men write for them. And so you're like naturally going to have an unconscious bias there with regards to what films they're attracted to. Um, and obviously with that stretched over like decades and decades of, of film criticism and film discourse has resulted in the canon of great films being mostly men. Um, mm. And as female critics, the more kind of prevalent we become, slowly I think that that's, we're tipping the scale back the other way. And that's what I find exciting about it. A while back, they did this classic cinema series and mm-hmm. uh, over at our local theater. And just every single movie was so machismo. <laughs> I'm like, who picked out this series? And particularly, I thought that Cool Hand Luke, I'm not saying it's a bad film, but I thought that it was very, very, uh, I don't know, just very machismo about it, everything about it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and 
I don't know, there was, I'm trying to remember, there was like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and uh, the the Dirty Dozen and just everything was very like <laughs> bro fest. And I was <laughs> like, uh, we need to get some help in this, whoever's planning this. But there's definitely that feel sometimes in the, when you're watching some of these classic lists where uh, the if they have female-centric films, they're very like the ingenue kind of a thing or sort of a, mm-hmm. the the... Uh, they're not the more complex written characters that you you know you like to and see. there are like a few like female directors throughout history that people are like well those are the ones that we'll include to show right. that we're <laughs> inclusive but it's sort of like when you look beyond that there's so much more um mm. that has kind of been erased like it's harder to find um under the radar films by women throughout film history because they've kind of been buried in discourse and ignored um so it's important to like try and look past that but it's very difficult it's a lot of undoing yeah guys what do you think when you're reading different reviews and other critics do you think that do you find yourself gravitating towards female voices male voices do you think it's basically the same what do you think i think for certain films when there's um when there's obviously going to be sort of a bit of a difference in how men and women see it i like to see if sort of obviously other women have felt the same way i have so i think mm-hmm. the big one's going to be when more people see promising young woman yeah I right I'm, that's a I'm good really, example i'm really interested to see how men are going to take that film because i think some are going to just like hate it because they're going to feel attacked by it um so I think sort of with things like that, it's important, sort of important. And then again, even with sort of the big blockbusters and superhero sort of films, I think women are being more accepted that they like them as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas obviously before it's always like, oh, well, yeah, the men do this a bit, a bit like yeah. sort of Ghostbusters as well. I still always mm-hmm. feel like that got attacked because they were all women and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know? So I think there was like a big sort of, there's still a big gender sort of difference in that. Um, but something I did notice from a lot of the films that I watched in 2020 was how powerful the female performances were. Mm-hmm. So I usually put together a list of like top 25 performances and I probably could put a bigger list together for females than I could for males this year. Mm-hmm. And I think like the Os- Oscars is going to be probably one of the toughest years because there's probably already five performances I could think to be nominated straight away. And I probably haven't seen all the films yet. So I think we'll have seen a big shift. Yeah, and I feel like it seems like almost every year, I feel like that's the way it is. Like best actresses are always just so tough. And mm. the the best actor is usually not as tough <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason. I don't know why, but I feel like that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there are some really strong contenders this year, whether it's Viola Davis or Vanessa Kirby or Carrie Mulligan I think they're pretty strong uh Mm. contenders going up but uh do you find you being over in the UK do you find that sometimes there's like a a disconnect at all between films that are getting a lot of hype here in the states and then either you don't see them till way later so they don't get that hype there or maybe you've already seen them or it's just different what do you think Orla? Mm, I mean, 
UK release dates are definitely like a bane of the existence of many UK film fans. Yeah. Um, we get stuff so much later. And since I've been writing for Seventh or more, I'm a bit lucky that I'm often I could I'm often getting to see films um when they come out there, especially this year when everything screeners. Um, so, but then I, I can't recommend it to anyone until it comes out and some things don't even get distribution. In fact, like one of my favorite films of the 2020 was First Cow. Um, and I did a lot of coverage of it too, because I managed to get, we did a big project on it. So I managed to get a screener sort of early last year. And that film, uh, not only has it not come out in the UK, it hasn't got a distributor here. Um, and it has no like release on the horizon. And that happens with several really great films every single year. Does A24 um, not release there? No, um, oh. they have a few people who often like release their films like Altitude Distribution have releasing like Minari here and they release Moonlight and a bunch of other A24 films. But for some reason, not this one. Maybe they're waiting for theaters to become more of a thing again. But like, as far as we know, there's no deal. Um, and I'm lucky to have seen it, but I know a lot of people who haven't. Um, and so there's definitely a disconnect. I mean, again, my head is kind of in Canada at the moment, especially since I'm not leaving my house. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. I mean, we live in like a very global world and I don't understand yeah. why things aren't more synced up at this point. I agree. I think that it's kind of crazy that, I mean, especially as, as we're getting these streaming services that if we're going to have, you know, Disney Plus and other things, they need to be everywhere. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just weird that that can't yeah. happen. You think some some place like disney you know with the reach they have could make that happen at least yeah and we don't have criterion channel here either oh. which is definitely a thing that i would want mm -hmm. i think yeah. sky sky cinema over here puts the big block on everything doesn't it because that's why we got disney plus late because they owned like a lot of the rights to the films and that's why we haven't got hbo max because they've they've got certain films and then it's it's sort of, I don't know, it causes quite a bit of problems, but I have noticed over the past few weeks, the they have a premiere on every day and mm. it's actually been like quite a good film most yeah. days. Quite quick from the cinema release as well. Well, that's good. Mm. That's good. Like yeah. smaller films as well. Do you, have you found that, Kaz, that there's sometimes films that get really popular in the States and they just don't ring the same over there? I think, yeah, sometimes because of the hype. So if you hear so much about a film and then you're really excited to see it and you're kind of a bit like, oh, is that it? Yeah. yeah. That happens you're waiting sometimes. a year and a half to see it. Yeah. And then well, you're just I, a bit like, oh. I feel like that's going to be a problem for all of us with these 2021 releases because, mm -hmm. you know, some of these films now have had three, four marketing cycles. So we're waiting and, and I feel like it's just setting us up to be disappointed it's something i'm definitely thinking about a lot about as a critic trying to kind of be cognizant of that so that i don't let my expectations because i think that was i mean wonder woman 84 had lots of problems but i do think part of part of the the backlash against it was partly due to to it being the, the being disappointing because they had people had been hyped up for it now like for over a year 
And I, so I think that certainly didn't help it at least <laughs> say that. And I feel like the, the bond movie uh, is going to face the same thing. I think Dune's going to face the same thing. I mean, we just, how many times can you kind of be built up and hyped for something and then it be delayed and then it delayed and delayed and delayed. Well, with um, Wonder Woman, that's only been released on VOD today in the UK. Oh, that's right. I forgot that. So there's even like sort of bigger thing with that. Um, mm. I luckily had a, I got a screener last week. What do you like, think? Um, I enjoy parts of it. Yeah. I think that's, like, as you said, though, because of people talking about it, I managed to get no spoilers, but because everyone was sort of like, I don't know if it was, like, as you said, because it took so long to get released, everyone was waiting for it, but I don't know. I still I still felt a lot of the criticism was harsh on it, though. Yeah. Because it was never going to be as good as the first one. Right. They sort of mm. broke the mold with that first one. Overall, I liked it. I it was disappointing, uh, but I I mean, and it has its problems. But I just like Gallus so much as that character, and I just like yeah. the character so much that I enjoyed it. It's not mm-hmm. perfect, but but uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think it's just something I think we have to watch out for this year, uh, particularly uh, for all of us that are in film. Do you find that your opinions on films have changed a lot as you have, uh, as you've gotten older, that films that you used to like in your, in your early twenties, you're kind of like, um, I don't know. I mean, you Uh, both are a lot younger than me, but still. I mean, even then just a few years distance from a film can really change your perspective Mm -hmm. on it. And I feel like I kind of disavowed any opinion that I had like longer than four or five years ago. I'm uh-huh. like, well, I feel like I have to watch that again before I can say if it's good or bad. There are so many films where I feel like that way. Like years ago, um, I watched the Norwegian film Oslo August 31st um, uh-huh. and did really like it. And then I started working for Seventh Row and Alex, my colleague, um, it's like her favorite film. She adores it. Um, mm-hmm. and I watched it again like a couple of weeks ago for a project we were doing on it for a podcast and I absolutely loved it I adored it and I feel like it just like that happens in so many films where kind of my relationship with cinema um, has changed the more films you watched the easier it is to kind of read a film um, and to meet it on its level especially with world cinema where mm-hmm. you kind of it's, it's a different language different countries and different areas of the world have like a different approach to cinema that you might not be used to um so yeah I mean I think and also I've become better at like articulating why a film doesn't work and why a film does work I think especially after being a film critic and being forced to kind of like get your thoughts down in a way that makes sense to people rather than just like an amorphous blob of adjectives um so yeah absolutely I think that like um every year changes my relationship with films and when you're watching something for a podcast it really does impact your appreciation for even a flawed film Mm -hmm. and that I don't know you just you just notice things and you're taking notes and it's just a it's just a different experience of I even recently not too long ago did a podcast on the Little Mermaid for my Talking Disney podcast and I mean I've seen that movie 
so many times <laughs> since I was a little mm -hmm. girl. And, uh, but I, I don't think I'd ever really taken notes as I watched it. Yeah. And it was a different experience. It was, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It adds a lot. I wouldn't want to watch all movies that way, but it is an interesting way to watch movies. Yeah. Well, I, I tried to rewatch um, the animated Dumbo when uh -huh. the new one came out and I had to turn it off after the first like 10 minutes. I couldn't get past like oh really was, yeah i was like oh that, i was like how, how did i watch that as a kid i was like that's ho the horrible i was like that's horrible i was like i can't watch anymore so i kind of like turned it off uh-huh yeah so i one that i liked so much better after when i was in college i i did not like at close encounters of the third kind i thought mm -hmm. oh this is boring i don't like it um but then i watched it a couple of years ago and I think I might have even seen it at the theater. I can't remember. And I loved it. It really worked for me and it wasn't boring anymore. And I, I thought that it had something to say about kind of about news and the way we report things and the way we believe people and, and, uh, and just how desperate they were to try to convince people that what they had seen it was real and how nobody believed them and uh and so it was it worked on a just a different level to me as an adult than what it did as you know as a college as a college student mm -hmm. <laughs> um so that was one for sure for me that and then you know of course you have others that you're like oh, i like this okay all right. <laughs> mm. And I feel like when I was younger, we were talking about like the canon earlier, like the films people tell you are great films. Yeah. And I feel like when I was younger, if I watched one of those films and I didn't really like connect with it, I was more likely to try and convince myself that actually I did like it. Um, right. And when I didn't really, because I felt like, you know, but that's the right opinion. I'm supposed to like this. So I need to like twist my brain around to find ways in which I'm wrong. And actually it is great. Um, and I feel like there's so much I have to revisit because of that. That's Blade Runner for me. I try, <laughs> I convinced myself that even though I didn't really like it, my, my first review, when I was just starting, I, I just was in like a pretzel to try to convince myself this was a good, a good movie. And mm -hmm. I understand why other people like it, but now I read that review and I'm just like, Oh, that was bad. Because I wasn't, I wasn't really saying how I really felt. I that I was, I was, you know, saying about how pretty it was and everything, like which is true. But, uh, but yeah, man, that movie's hard for me to get through. The pacing mm -hmm. is very, very difficult for me, uh, still to this day. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like now I've, uh, I've learned to like own my controversial opinions. Yes, I, I have, that. I have many of them every year, and I'm, I'm proud of them. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's good. So we have a coming up the Sundance Film Festival is coming up. And so I thought it would be fun to talk about uh, Sundance and, or just film festivals in general, independent film and uh, and to talk about our experiences with that uh, coming up. And I, I had my two, we always do a unpopular opinion and a, a review that we're proud of. And uh, so mine, uh, for both of those, I decided to pick a Sundance film because there's always that festival darling that everybody loves and that you watch and you're like, mm. <laughs> I didn't love it. And one of those for me was Brittany Runs a Marathon. 
Uh, this was a, a won all these awards at Sundance. People loved it. And I thought that it was not good at all. I thought that she was really, really unlikable and unpleasant. And I didn't, I, I, I thought that I would love it because I have done, been a plus size athlete in my life. Like I've done open water swims and, and so I've dealt with some of the same things that she dealt with. So I thought that I would love it. And I just found her so grating and unlikable. And I, and I wished that I could have rooted for anybody else in the movie. I like better than her. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just didn't find her journey interesting or I don't know. Uh, so that was an unpopular opinion that I had of a festival movie, uh, or an indie movie. Uh, or have you had anything kind of like that? Yes. Um, lots. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have lots of films that I'm not convinced by that a lot of people love. Although, mm-hmm. um, to be more positive, I'll pick a film that I really loved that not a lot of people did um, from this last year, which was Ammonite, um, which mm-hmm. is a film that was on like my top five or ten of the year. I really loved it. I love Francis Lee's last film, and I interviewed him. He's such a fascinating guy. And what I really loved about it is that, um, I mean, I guess I, I think the marketing hurt it in a sense that it was marketed as like this sweeping romance, when really I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, I think it's about a relationship and about the sort of class power dynamics in that relationship. And it's really, really rare to see a British period piece. It's actually about like working class characters. Um, because most British period pieces are just sort of like people in beautiful ball gowns in huge houses. And this one was kind of like, people were right to call it bleak um, because I mean, it's about a character. She has one, she has like uh, three dresses, one dress she works in, it's caked in mud and it's covered in holes. I interviewed the costume designer as well because I love the costumes in it because I think that they're, I love the costumes not because they're like beautiful in the conventional period piece way, but because they're so rich with detail and you learn so much about um, Mary Anning's life, who's this British paleontologist from the 19th century, who Kate Winslet plays in the film. Um, And the film is really more a portrait of her and her life as a working class woman than it is about the romance and the romance is also like a very interesting way in to talk about class because she has a romance with um, a more upper class woman played by Saoirse Ronan. Um, And it's a very intimate relationship and it works in this kind of like over this isolated period of a few weeks for certain reasons, but then when we're out of kind of that like isolated period uh, in the real world. There's a relationship that doesn't work and the film um, grapples with that in a really complex way. Um, so I really appreciate that about it. It's actually not come out in the UK yet either because for some reason we don't get British films at the same time as America does. Which is crazy. Uh, it comes out That's in February nice. or March. Yeah, I can give you one where I caught up with um, at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah, let's Highl- know. Highlander. What's it called? Highlander. Uh-huh. Mm. I caught up with that and like everyone's seen it's amazing and it's great and it's a cult classic and I just thought it was terrible. <laughs> I just thought it was absolutely terrible. I was like, why am I watching this film? I was like, it's so- <laughs> I was like, it's so bad. I was like, what? 
<laughs> I'm picking that for my blind spot in April. That's that's <laughs> that's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I just, we... There's a point as well about um, Brittany runs a marathon, but mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it and cried because I ran the New York marathon in 2018. Uh -huh. So like mm -hmm. the part where like she's on like the start line. It just brought back all the amazing memories of doing the race, and I just yeah, like. That cried. Makes sense. But I can understand why you didn't like her as a person because she wasn't very likable. Yeah, mm. I can be like the neutral ground here because I haven't seen Highlander or Brittany run <laughs> okay. so I I can't I can disagree with either of you. <laughs> well, you have to let us know if you get to see it. <laughs> see <laughs> either. <laughs> well, it was on Amazon Prime at one point. Mm. I'm not sure if it's mm. still on there. Yeah, the film that it's always fun to when you go to a film festival and you find that sort of little film that you can champion. And mm -hmm. uh, I've had a bunch of those over the years of covering Sundance. And uh, one was the documentary Step that I absolutely loved about a step uh, a team in Baltimore. And it was really about the girls. It wasn't really about dance. And I just thought it was great. Uh, I was so mad that it didn't get nominated. <laughs> but the documentary branch is so bad. <laughs> They never nominate the good stuff. Mm. Uh, I also loved, which also didn't get nominated. I also loved the documentary Maiden about the first all women uh, racing, uh, sailboarding racing team and the race around the world. So good, so inspiring. And then another one, we'll see if it gets nominated, but I'm highly doubtful. Last year at Sundance, I loved the documentary Dick Johnson is Dead. Mm. Yeah. Did you see that, Orla? Yeah, I interviewed Kristen Johnson about it. Oh. And I think that's probably my favorite interview I did all last year because she is just a lovely, lovely person. And she's so interesting. Like whatever you ask her, she'll she'll come up with something like fascinating that you'd never thought of to say. Um, she's just as lovely as you'd hope she'd be from, from the documentary and from her dad, who is also wonderful. And yeah, yeah. no, I'm a big fan of that film. I loved it. It's so creative. And she, I, I don't, doesn't surprise me at all for you to say that because she was the best at Sundance. I mean, she yeah. was going up and down the road. She was taking questions. She was talking to everybody. She was so fun. It uh, was one of the best panels I've ever been to at, a, at Sundance. I loved mm -hmm. the movie, but I loved her too. And I just loved her family. And it's very creative because they have all these sort of it's about her processing her father's death before he's actually dead. And they have all these sort of mock deaths mm, <laughs> scenes. Yeah. And, and uh, so it kind of mixes dramatic with documentary in a very creative way. And uh, so that's one that I definitely have really been championing that I loved. Mm, and that's come on to Netflix last year, which is great. Now it's very accessible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, people should see it. And so I always have people when they come on to, to talk about a review that you've done that you're proud of, that you really like, you think it's well-written. And uh, so I'm curious what you thought of. Uh, Orla, what, what's one that you thought of? Um, it's a difficult question. Um, and I thought, well, we might as well throw in another unpopular opinion um, along with the review. Uh, probably the review, um, I've read a bunch of reviews that I'm happy with, but probably the one that's like from last year that brought me the most attention is mm -hmm. um, a review of a Mexican film that I did at TIFF called New Order. 
and it became like a big talk of TIFF because it was sort of, and it, it likely will be nominated for a foreign language Oscar. Um, and people were using like the log line, like this is the Mexican parasite um, to get people to watch it, which kind of like ignores all the complex things Parasite was doing that this film absolutely isn't doing. Um, I really, really hated it. It's like incredibly over the top and violent for no reason. It's just incredibly sadistic. And, and I know a lot of people were sort of raving about it. Um, when I think it's really like edgy, but it's not saying anything and it's almost kind of borderline offensive. So I didn't like it, as you can tell. Um, and I wrote this review kind of explaining why I didn't like it. Um, and then when the trailer, the Mexican trailer for the film came out, that review kind of went viral on Mexican film Twitter. Oh, and no. I had like for like two weeks, my people were quoting my review in Spanish um, and uh, I sort of, I mean, mo most people were, were sort of like agreeing with me. So that's good. I got a couple of people who, who were who calling it bad. And then eventually there was like an article about uh, the film and the uproar it caused um, in The Guardian and my review was quoted there. Uh, it was on seventh row, the review, and it basically for two months made up like half of our, our viewing numbers. So, um, I'm very thankful for that. And I do, I am proud of that review because I think that I managed to, rather than just like screaming about how much I didn't like the film, kind of reason why it was bad with actual like filmmaking examples that are difficult to mm -hmm. dispute. Yeah. And I'm glad that I made a solid argument because now it's being shared around so I can use that as evidence rather than having to defend myself. Yeah, so you didn't fall into just hyperbole that you had an argument, you had a, a solid reasons why. I think that that's, that's really important. Kaz, uh, what about you? What's something that you've written that you are, you're really proud of that you think is, is a well-written review? I kind of uh, picked a, quite a recent review. Um, I eventually caught up and watched um, Educating Rita mm -hmm. with Jude Walters and Michael Caine, which I'd, I'd never seen before. And I kind of like, I loved the film. And then as I was writing, it, I think I then got that across in sort of a more gushing type review. Um, and it kind of made us think about what we we're talking about earlier about um, the different female performances. And like Julie Walters got an amazing character in that film. Uh, mm. Julie and Walters is best. It, it kind of made us think like, if you find the right films from different time periods, there's still some good female roles there. We're kind yeah. of like everything that's about is that there wasn't any, but you can you can find them. And I think that was sort of one of them. So I was really proud of sort of that review and just how much I sort of loved the film, eventually catching up with it after so many years. I'll have to watch that. I haven't seen it. Uh, but it was, a, I, it was a film debut as well, Julie Walters. Oh, really? Oh, really? Wow. It was the first film she was in. She'd just done sort of TV and set uh, theatre before that. And I think she yeah. was 20, I think she was 28. I feel like she's kind of underrated now because she's so much in everything that people underappreciate how good mm -hmm. she really is. But like she was in Wild Rose a couple of years ago and I loved her so much in that. I wish she'd gotten like Oscar attention for that because it's- That's like what part. I was going to talk about is my review that of the movie that I'm proud of because- uh, it was just such a great experience and especially now that we that we can't go to the theater very much 
uh, the, the art house theater is closed here in, in Salt Lake. Uh, but uh, I, I just went to the theater and I said I was going to just see whatever I was going to go the whole day and see whatever the art house theater had for me. And mm-hmm. uh, one of those movies was Wild Rose. And I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I went in knowing nothing about it. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And I, I loved Julie Walter's performance. I think that she deserved a, a nomination. I thought she was mm-hmm. so good because that that movie could have so easily been just, just your sort of classic sort of judgmental uh, parent who doesn't, you know, who's holding back the the dreamer but that's not what it was i mean she'd actually been raising her children she she was worried about her daughter that she would get kind of lost in this dream and she she says how much more are you willing to sacrifice for it and so it was such a more nuanced discussion than uh than what you typically see with just sort of the overbearing parent kind of role and she was so good and I love Jesse Buckley so much. Mm. And I loved the music. I just couldn't believe that. <laughs> I couldn't believe that none of the music got nominated. I mean, I did because yeah. it's the Oscars, but I, I mean, all the on. songs they actually nominated were just kind of meh. And then yeah, right. The songs from that are great. Yeah. yeah. So then that Jessie, was one of my favorites. Jesse Buckley's backstory is so good as well. Cause she started out on a UK mm-hmm. talent show mm-hmm. for, yeah. um, I'd do anything to find the next yeah Nancy. and I remember watching that at the time yeah I kind of I feel like sort of like a proud relative watching her because like you've yeah. seen her sort of like grow up and now she's getting these amazing roles yeah yeah she's another, wonderful another movie that I had a great experience with this year and this is kind of more my podcast but I was the movie words on bathroom walls with, I watched that yesterday oh you do yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like perfect or anything but I thought it was really good and uh, and particularly there's a moment where Walter Goggins writes uh, the Charlie Pullman character a letter and that waterworks it really yeah, got me I, I did cry that bit it was so good especially because you're you're not expecting I, like to me at least Walter Goggins the, I'm immediately expecting him to be a villain and so for mm-hmm. the fact that he had this heel turn I was like oh that was such smart casting very good mm-hmm. anyway and so when I was writing about it I said in my review, I said, I would really like to talk to somebody with schizophrenia to see what they think about the movie, because I have no idea mm-hmm. like how they would respond to it. Right. And uh, so I did, I said that, and somebody actually responded and sent me an email, this guy, this young man named Zach. And I, I started talking with him and I said, Hey, would you like to come on my podcast? We can talk about the movie and talk about your experience, because I think the whole stigmas around mental illness uh, like that it's just so ridiculous and I hate it and so anyway I had him on my podcast and we had a great discussion it was super empowering and then the director Tor Frudenthal was listening to our episode and then he came on my podcast mm-hmm. and so it was just ended up being this super positive wonderful experience based on my review and my experience with the movie and so uh, and that's something that's so cool that that we can do now with everybody being so much more easy to access than you know you used to. You'd only be able to have like a junket, or you might be able to talk to somebody, and now or maybe a phone call. But now we have so many other ways to connect with people that you can make a, a really incredible experience 
uh, mm. with, uh, you know, whether it be just talking with somebody else that enjoyed the film or whether talking even with people involved, uh, that can be a really, even just on Twitter saying, Hey, I really loved your movie. Uh, that can be a really cool experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that like lockdown has allowed some stuff like that in an interesting way. Like at seventh row, we were thinking about what we could do for lockdown programming. And we thought the idea of doing live streams every week with mm -hmm. two filmmakers who like didn't know each other, but had like maybe similar preoccupations or worked in a similar field and just have them talk to each other for an hour. Um, mm -hmm. And it's something you could never do if we, the world wasn't like at a standstill. Um, but it ended up being so interesting because everyone was at home. We could get people kind of scheduled at the right time. And we had so many interesting conversations. And then by the end of that series, we ended up having like people that I would have never have imagined we could have gotten on who we did because they were free. Like we had Mike Lee on, which is like pretty amazing. Um, and we just emailed his agent and then somehow managed to arrange it. And it's as much as this year, last year has been pretty awful. I think that it has like allowed, I think people have made the most of it in allowing for some conversations to happen um, and allowing for connections to happen that wouldn't have otherwise been possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, guys, you did a lot of rewatches this year at the, before the theaters closed, right? Yeah. Yeah. You I, went I am. I eventually got to see Lord of the Rings, obviously, which I mentioned earlier, um, extended editions on the big screen. That's and I so went cool. twice, twice within 10 days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because Odin had it on and then Cineworld put it on. So I was like, well, I have to go back again and do it all again. You saw the whole series twice? Yeah. That's, wow. That's a lot of hours. I did um, Fellowship in Two Towers on one day and then Return of the King the next because I thought Two Towers to Return of the King, that is like heavy heavy yeah. going so that was how it sort of split they didn't sort of put them on early enough to have it all in one day mm, yeah. I think probably would have been a bit more brutal but yeah like that that was sort of like kind of probably one of the best things to come from the whole lockdown in the cinemas because uh -huh. probably would never have screened them up here right. I know there's like a, there's a small cinema in uh, London that does it in a day but I probably mm. would never print yeah mm. and then I think what else did I, ca I caught up with Bill and Ted I'd never seen that before and oh, I saw okay. that for the first time at the cinema. Mm. Uh, and then yeah. I did Rocky IV and Rocky Balboa randomly. I don't know why they had random Rocky films <laughs> on sometimes. Yeah, uh, I was able to see a bunch of the classics uh, on a lot of the drive-in uh, that they had here. Uh, the I saw, I saw Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, Jaws, Empire Strikes Back, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, the original Avengers, Slumdog Millionaire, which I love, uh, E.T., Nightmare Before Christmas, Harry Potter, uh, the, the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one, or part two. Uh, so yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty fun. That was a nice part about the year is that, yeah, getting to see some of these uh these classics but anyway well thank you so much for coming on and talking with us this was really fun i really enjoyed hearing about your experiences and uh so i really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, joining the podcast yeah it's been really amazing thanks <laughs> so Kaz, how can people find you in your blog 
my blog is letsgotothemovies.co.uk and on Twitter, I'm at let's go to the mov seven. Great. And Orla, what about you? Um, well, you can find seventh row at seventh-row.com or at seventh row on Twitter. And then with me, you can find my writing. Uh, my portfolio is just allasmith.com and uh, at Orla Mango on Twitter. Great. Great. We'll have all that information in the description section and we'll definitely have to have you both on again. Maybe yeah. once we're able to do some best and worst or uh, if uh, if you're all able to see any of the Sundance films, that one might be fun. So uh, this was great. And let us know in the comments section if you have any thoughts about all the different things that we talked about. We'd love to hear and or on Twitter. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And uh, you can also find me at the Hallmarkies podcast. So take a look over there. And I'm going to be covering Sundance for rotoscopers.com. And uh, I'm going to be interviewing every animator, whether short or feature film, that's submitting to Sundance, that's featuring at Sundance, uh, that I can get in contact with. I'm trying my best. And so that's going to be over there at Rotoscopers. And that's ambitious. So it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm excited. So check that out. And thanks again. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. Bye, everybody.